All right, Noah and the flood. We are looking at Genesis chapter 6 and 7 this morning. The great flood looms over creation. God speaks to Noah, and there are certain things that he says to him. The same God that brought the flood has made a way for us to be saved as well. And we must consider this grace in light of what we have been graced by, or, or rather in light of the judgment. So, <clears throat> there are many movies, in uh, uh, very good movies, I think in my opinion, if you want to good action kind of movie of, you know, catastrophic events or world-ending disasters. Um, there's even very educational videos on YouTube. Uh, one that we watched the other day, What If the Moon Crashed Into the Earth? And it was actually really insightful. Oh, wow, okay, the science behind something like that uh, and the gravity and how that works. Um, But, <laughs> but in my opinion, <clears throat> the most terrifying thing that could happen, uh, or the thing that holds the most terror, is drowning. There is something truly ominous about a deep chasm of water that you cannot see the bottom of. Many people have lost their lives in cave diving. So they would go scuba diving in underground uh, pockets of water in cave networks. The mere thought sends me into a panic. But they have actually lost their bearings. They lose their sense of direction, up or down, left or right. It's pitch, 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 black, dark, and there, there's no sense of one way or the other. And they run out of oxygen. Can you imagine the terror in those, in those minutes of life trying to find a way out? That is nothing to say about um, simply walking on maybe a thin sheet of ice. And in some parts of the world, if you fall through and you just manage to figure out what's going on and you swim to the top, the ice is already frozen um, above you. And no one can hear you shout. No one can see the splatter of water from a distance to come and jump in to save you. <clears throat> what about the crushing might <clears throat> of water, of what it can bring down upon entire cities and ecosystems, leaving them in ruin, like tidal waves and flash floods? The one minute you're swimming merrily in a river, and the next minute 
you're carried a kilometer down river with nothing and no one to grab onto and debris and everything. Um, they did a simulation, just to give you the idea of the magnitude of water. They did a simulation of what would happen if they detonated a nuclear bomb in the Mariana Trench, the deepest point in our ocean somewhere in the Atlantic, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> would you expect a gush of water? Would you expect it to make tidal waves? <laughs> so they did the simulation, and beyond the initial blast, the crushing might of tens of millions of tons of water completely um, drowned and negated the, the force of the bomb. Nothing happened. <laughs> maybe a person happened to be there, they would see maybe a bubble come up and be like, hmm, wonder what that was the crushing might of water. I want us to understand this, that in our message this morning, God speaks, and he makes um, certain things known to Noah. He speaks to Noah, and he says things to Noah. Firstly, he says that he would destroy the world with a flood. God doesn't exaggerate. He doesn't overpromise and underdeliver. He does what he says. And to imagine the, the colossal uh, event that was the flood. What I want us to learn is how Noah responded to the news of the imminent destruction of the world. And I want us to ultimately see the blessing that we have with, complete, with our completed revelation that is Scripture, that he says the same things to us. The question is, will we, what will we do when we are confronted with the will of God? We're going to look at God and what he said to Noah, his announcement of his destruction. Firstly, he commanded Noah to build an ark. Second, um, and then he promised Noah that he would preserve him and his family. Three, in each case he states throughout chapter 6 and 7 how he would do it and why he chose to do it. So let's start with Genesis 6 verse 12. God looked on the earth and saw that it was corrupt for all flesh has corrupted their way on the earth. So God said to Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, 
for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I will destroy them with the earth. I will destroy them as well as destroy the earth, in other words. Make an ark of cypress wood for yourself. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And then he describes, uh, God details the, the measurements and the dimensions and the structure of the ark. Verse 17, um, I will bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy all flesh. Wherever there is breath of life under heaven, and everything that is on the earth will die. But I will establish my covenant with you. You must go into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Bring every living thing of all flesh, two of a kind, into the ark. Keep them alive with you. And then in verse 22, after God had declared that he would destroy the earth, and he commanded Noah to build an ark, and he assured Noah of his preservation, Noah did this, all that God had commanded him. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this ultimately short passage in the grander narrative of your redemptive work in Scripture and in our lives, let us not underestimate what it means for us today. And in so doing, keep us humble, keep us focused on you, Lord, so we may ever be reminded of the greatness of your grace and your love for us. Amen. <clears throat> Before we get to chapter 7, <clears throat> so God announced the destruction of the earth, how he would destroy it. He said with the flood and he, and he made sure to uh, emphasize the fact that nothing will survive. And he, he said, why? In the first verse, God looked on the earth and saw that it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way. <clears throat> now, it's easy to read a verse like that and other verses like it and come to the assumption that God judges based on whether we have done good things or whether we have done bad things. And God preserved Noah or saved Noah because he did not as bad things as everyone else did. But that's not the starting point. Biblically, when we think about evil deeds or righteous deeds, we, we tend to assume it begins with the deed itself. When the Bible 
consistently, without exception, talks about evil deeds and good deeds, it begins with our motivation, our heart. And we've established from Genesis 1 to Genesis 5 that there was a problem with the heart, <clears throat> that Adam and Eve chose to define good and evil for themselves and reject God's um, definition of good and evil, that Cain <clears throat> chose to um, uh, act upon his his emotional being, his, 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 his jealousy, and kill his brother. That later on, men chose to reject the guidance and the will of God and um, define their place in the world for themselves. And that our actions come down to, <coughs> do we reject what God has said? who God is, and in place of that, we put our own definition and our own glory. There's a reason why sin is considered in Scripture rebellion against God. So, there's so much more than just they did a wrong thing, oops. And Noah was spared because he did not as many wrong things. He told us why he chose to destroy it. That Noah alone acknowledged God's authority and grace, and live by faith in that acknowledgement. And that guided his actions. God commanded Noah to build an ark. You know, I wonder, <clears throat> God had just told Noah he was going to destroy the world, and then he commanded him to build an ark not immediately making clear to Noah the purpose of the ark. I wonder if Noah was sitting there listening to God and saying, well, I'm not going to build it if I'm not on it. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. He didn't sit there and be like, whoa, okay, so the earth is getting destroyed. There's some things that I want to do. I'm going to go out and bang. I'm going to get my bucket list out, and I'm just going to live it up. What was Noah's reaction, I thought? He's commanded to build this ark. And if God didn't tell him, yes, get on the ark. I'm sure he would have built it regardless. 
He tells us how it must be built. God designed the ark. <laughs> and when it comes to uh, believability, you know, we're bombarded by uh, people saying, but surely it's impossible. <laughs> they don't. There's so much wrong with a statement like that to even begin to dissect what is possible for God. But people have done the math and they've said, yeah, actually, it's very possible to fit two of every kind of animal into that space and, and food and how much space things would take and the dimensions of the ark itself and how it could, uh, the design could have uh, withstood colossal waves. Uh, people are like, yeah, actually, if we look at it and step back and uh, like this was very possible. He chose to commission it because there is something <clears throat> about God's goodness evident in something like this. We see a bit more when we consider Exodus. Much later in, in human history, we hear about another ark that was created. <clears throat> when Moses was a baby, Pharaoh slaughtered all the young of the nation of Israel. It was um, bordering on genocide to, to kill off an entire generation uh, of infants. And we hear about how Mo Noah's uh, Moses' older sister made an ark. That's what it says. A basket that they covered in pitch to waterproof it and set Moses in it and off it went. And that saved him. This, this ship, it's not a ship. <laughs> But this vessel almost of God's uh, grace, of God's salvation. Why he commissioned it. God's promise that he would preserve Noah and his family. He says, I will make a covenant with you and with your family. A covenant. We see after, uh, we'll get to that, uh, the floodwaters has receded. God affirms this covenant with him. God had made a promise to Eve <clears throat> that through your seeds, through your generation, I will restore what was lost. The enemy will be defeated and there will be made a way for us to live as we once were. If everything was destroyed, 
there would be no way to fulfill that promise. The covenant made with Noah collects all of that and says, all right, Noah, you will be the one to, through your preservation, I will keep my promise. How he would preserve them, that he would also go into this vessel of salvation and be spared from judgment. It's interesting to then read Noah's reaction ultimately in verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. You know, when God calls Moses, we read almost an entire chapter of Moses trying to get out of this responsibility. We read uh, Jonah fleeing almost uh, to the other side of the known world just to not do what God had called him to do. Noah said, okay, I will do it. In Hebrews chapter 11, and we've referred to this passage almost every single time because this passage has something to say. It talked about the faith of Adam. It talked about the faith of Enoch and, um, and Abel. And now it talks about the faith of Noah. What compelled Noah in the face of the destruction of the world, in the face of, say, I'm going to flood the world and... Maybe he looked up at the sky and he didn't see a cloud in the sky and it was sunny and it, the birds were chirping, you know, and okay. <laughs> in spite of evidence, it says in verse 7 of Hebrews 11, by faith Noah being divinely warned about things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark to save his family by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah obeyed. You know, if we continue in chapter 7, just to emphasize everything that we have said. The Lord said to Noah, He said to Noah, you and your entire household go into the ark. In verse 2, and it tells him, um, it actually says seven of every clean animal and only two of every unclean animal. And it says in verse 5, Noah did according to all the Lord commanded him. In verse 4, he reiterates the destruction of the earth. And in verse 1 of Genesis 7, 
he reiterates Noah's place in his redemptive plan. For you alone I have seen to be righteous before me this generation. Not because of what Noah did, but because of what Noah believed by faith. Now, I want us to consider these things that God declared and said to Noah and think about us today. When God speaks to us through his written word, what has he said to us? I think that if we consider the collective message of Scripture as it is completed. He has announced His judgment to us. He has called us to repentance and faith. He has promised us redemption. Let's consider some verses about how it connects to our walk with the Lord. Think about Second um, Peter chapter two. Chapter three. Second Peter chapter three. From verse five. He has announced his judgment for they willingly ignore that by the word of God that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed standing out of the water and in the water. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 6, by which the word then, world then existed was flooded with water and perished. But by the same word, verse 7, the heavens and the earth that now exist are being preserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The context of that passage is that people in his day, and you can think to yourself if maybe you've heard this, in our lifetime, or maybe this week, I have. <clears throat> Where is God? Surely things have been the same since the creation of the world. If God was just and righteous, wouldn't he have judged the world already? The fact that we're still here means that he has no power. That's what people said. That's the context of 2 Peter chapter 3. And Peter warns him, no. The reason is because God is merciful. <laughs> he is, by his word, holding back his judgment Later in the, in, in the chapter it says that all will come to faith 
God has declared his judgment. Don't make a mistake about that. Don't look around at the goodness or the wickedness of the world and say, where is God? Don't ever be so naive. Nothing escapes the eyes of our Lord. He has announced it. He has called us to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That even though destruction is imminent and we are to be judged, he says, I am going to make a vessel of salvation. Jesus Christ, that died on the cross, that suffered as an atonement sacrifices for our sins, to pay for our sins in our place, because he loved us. He loves us. He calls us to repentance and faith. John chapter 3, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, <clears throat> although not directly referring to the flood, Jesus does refer to the flood in several other passages. But he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the entire nation of Israel were afflicted by a plague of poisonous snakes. They were dying in mass. They were littering the ground on the brink of death. God said, walk through the camp with this figure on, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a cross, <laughs> this figure uh, on a staff, on a wooden uh, post, and whoever looks on it in faith will be healed. That's what happened. And Jesus compares that incident of judgment to himself on the cross. that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Moses believed God. This is also how he promises us redemption. It doesn't mean the destruction of the earth and then oblivion and then nothingness. It means that in Jesus Christ, part of 
the wonderful um, act of redemption, the, the, um, the necessity to have eternal fellowship with our eternal God, this world without sin, without suffering. The question is, <clears throat> if we've heard Noah uh, hear God announce the destruction, announce judgment, and he commanded him what to do, and he promised to preserve him. He promised salvation. And he says those exact same things to us today. There will be judgment he calls us to repentance and faith and promises us salvation. What will we do? Will you obey? <clears throat> Matthew 24, Jesus does compare the flood to the last days of judgment. In Luke 17 as well. In Peter chapter 2, he talks about uh, preservation in the face of judgment. But I want to read to you now something that's, that's always sat comfortably or firmly at the back of my mind when I think about the judgment that is to come because in the face of God's righteousness and holiness and right to judge stands the depth and the greatness of his mercy and that without a right view of a just and holy God, we have a watered-down and numbed idea of His grace towards us and His love for us. That only with a true understanding of the one can we really appreciate the depth and the magnitude of the other. God loves us that while we were yet sinners, Christ suffered and died. Where is your faith? In yourself or in Jesus Christ? Listen to this. This is from a minor prophet, Zephaniah. In a passage talking about the great and terrible day of the Lord, this is what he says from verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening quickly. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. <clears throat> the mighty man shall cry out there. That day is the day of wrath a day of trouble and distress, a day of ruin and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day 
of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpets and alarms against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole earth will be consumed by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a sudden end of all those who dwell on earth. Let us not forget the God that calls us to repentance and faith. How wonderful is it to answer that call and say, yes, Lord, I acknowledge you as my Savior. I repent of my sins. Lead me. Guide me, chastise me, grow me. I will obey. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I know we can only scratch the surface of, or have begun to scratch the surface of your character and who you are, and we cannot even comprehend the fullness of of you. But Lord, we do know that in Jesus Christ you offer the free gift of salvation. And we thank you. Keep, let it keep us humble. Let it keep us compassionate. Let it keep us sober-minded and clear-headed. And let it keep us focused on you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.